Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, Brad Wilson, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com. And today's guest is one of my absolute favorite human beings in the poker world, universally respected teacher and author of Elements of Poker, Tommy Angelo. I'm going to be honest with you, I've been looking forward to releasing this one ever since the second I hit the stop button. But before we get into today's show, I want to let you know this is a round two Chasing Poker Greatness episode. So if you happen to miss episode number 25 with Tommy and you love our conversation today, I highly recommend you go back and listen to our original show. You know what it is they always say about sequels and originals. Also, before this episode fires up, I want to give you fair warning. In my mission to tap into some of Tommy's great stories, mind-bending perspectives, and massive poker wisdom, our conversation went to some pretty unexpected places. Places that may make you feel a little uncomfortable and that you may not be expecting on a poker podcast. You're going to hear Tommy and I talk about stuff like spirituality, death, and tripping on mushrooms. If those kind of topics are your jam, I'll venture to guess you're about to be pleasantly blown away. If they're not your jam, I think you'll love it anyway, but it's very possible that I could be biased. In our conversation today, you're also going to learn how Tommy hopes to die why Tommy's goal is to not have any goals, Tommy's views of enlightenment, and much, much more. And now, one quick little aside, I just want to let you know that this interview is brought to you today by Poker with Presence. If you want to get in the zone and play your best when you need it the most, visit PokerWithPresence.com. And now, without any further ado, I bring to you the living legend himself, Tommy Angelo. Tommy, welcome back, my friend. How are you doing, sir? Doing really well, Brad. We're holding up okay here. Yeah, it's been it's been a while since our first conversation. One or two things may have happened in the world that <laughs> may have altered existence as we know it. No big deal. Oh. Um, I want to start out this round two by asking you a question. What's something interesting about you that a lot of people don't know? Well, I don't know what people know. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I have written, you know, pretty much my whole life out in great detail in Painless Poker. Um, you know, I was a full-time musician for 10 years. I don't know if people know that in the 80s. I think we covered that in our first interview. We talked yeah. about the, the music being such a big part of your life. Um, but maybe if you're an open book, you don't, there's no answer. You just, everybody knows everything. Well, I mean, I, the thing is like all of the writing I've done in the last 20 years, pretty much all of it is in first person. 
Mm-hmm. So even though it's about poker or whatever, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly like <laughs> spreading myself out there. But there's got to be some some curious little feature. Some you, hobby, some thing you enjoy doing that people don't know, some uh, way you eat your food. I don't know. <laughs> some just interesting quirk of Tommy Angelo. Some little quirk. My goodness. We should have my wife in on this. <laughs> yeah, she, I'm, I guarantee you she's got answers. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything like embarrassing or anything, but I'm I'm just like shameless about all my little quirks, so it doesn't really matter. So they're all out there. So this this was a question that revealed absolutely nothing. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> good, good job on the the question askers part, me <laughs> for uh, putting that one in there. I did want to ask you too. We we talked about you potentially going on a meditation retreat or doing a class in our first conversation. Mm. Has that come to fruition? Have you done that yet? No, I haven't. I recall that part of the conversation. I think I was reflecting on how over the years, sometimes I feel a compulsion to do that just to like broaden my horizons. But then for whatever reason, I just don't feel I have the need for it. Um, so I'm I'm over two right now. This is uh, <laughs> yeah, trying yeah. to trying to find interesting things to talk about and I'm <laughs> striking out. Well, well, the uh, um, I will say though that that uh, you know there's a thing in the Buddhist teachings called sangha, s a n g a, which means your meditation community, whatever that is. Okay, well, in the old days when they defined that term, it was all about monks, and that meant their group, basically meant the monastery. This was, you know, thousands of years ago before uh, Buddhism was actually practiced by the common commoners. You know, it was basically in the monasteries, right? But now that word Songha has taken on a whole new meaning in the way that Buddhism and other spiritual practices have moved into the West. And it basically means any communication you have with anybody about your meditation practice. So like my friend Rob Cole, for example, who was one of the founding founders of Deuces Crack, you know, he and I have a wonderful relationship. We talk about uh, once a month on Zoom. All we talk about is our practice. That's it. Nothing else, right? And so he and I are part of each other's songha, okay? And so one of the things I realized in me not going down to the meditation centers is that I have a rich and fulfilling songha already in place with individuals and, and even with books that I re- reread a lot. And so my practice is not missing that part. But for a lot of people, having an actual group to go to, you know, a center to go to is huge, is, is, is necessary. It just isn't necessary for me. So I just wanted to throw that out there. For sure. And so let's talk about this because this is an area that I've been thinking about a lot. And it's the spiritual side of poker. And this is something that I think about when I think about you. All the things that you write, the lessons that you teach – are geared towards really reducing the suffering of our spirits while we're playing poker. And so I just want to ask you, how do you approach spirituality and poker? And if you could even define the term spirituality for you, that'd be helpful. Sure. Well, defining terms like this is one of my favorite things. And philosophers always get, you know, you got to define the terms. That's where a lot of differences come from is like people can actually agree, but they're just coming from a different perspective on a word or whatever. Okay, so the word spiritual used to always carry with it some sort of element of the supernatural, some sort of belief in a creator, 
some sort of origin story of how we got here other than evolution or whatever, right? And then over the years, it, it now has a meaning, especially I've learned it here in California, is secular spiritualism. You know, I've even heard that very phrase used, meaning this, we can examine the spiritual element. We have to call it something, right? We're limited by words. But without there being a God component, without there being any supernatural element, which is what Buddhism is. Buddhism is atheist. It's like the most purely atheistic philosophy there is. You know, when people would ask Buddha, Buddha like, how do we get here or whatever, he, he would just go silent. Any questions that are normally typically answered by the Christian God or the Judea God or whatever were just, are just ignored by Buddhism. They're just irrelevant, right? That's why I was attracted to it. So, so spiritual, the word spiritual now to me and others who buy into this meaning can mean no supernaturalness at all, okay? It's only about the quest, we'll call it, or the path toward, here's another word, liberation, okay? With meaning liberation from suffering. And suffering we are defining as any form of unhappiness or discontent, however mild, boredom is suffering, right? Great Experiencing great loss over a loved one or a possession is suffering. This is all mental stuff. It's all between our ears 100% of the time. That's what's meant by suffering, okay? And so the spiritual path is the path of reducing suffering, okay? That's it, period, consciously, on purpose. And... The um, the path of poker is toward reducing suffering, and the spiritual path of reducing suffering aligns so perfectly because once someone decides to make it their job, let's say, or their, their path to consciously reduce the amount of unhappiness they experience day to day, hour to hour, well... How do you do that? You First, you have to experience something unhappy and then use that moment to practice on. Well, poker, we get to accelerate that path. And I've been writing about that forever, right? We get to experience way, way, way more loss, little bits of loss over and over and over and over in our lives, like thousands of times more than regular people in the course of a day. And that is a great opportunity to practice working on our own spiritual self. And I had been you know, struggling with poker pain the usual way up until 2003 when I started meditating. Once I started meditating and I saw how, you know, this whole thing goes together, I can make poker my meditation and work in my own head while I'm playing poker and make more money all at the same time. It's like, wow, this is too good to be true. That's why the last two pages of Elements of Poker, which are my favorite two pages of the whole book, is called <clears throat> A Process of Illumination. And basically I talk about this, like, let's say we were to make up a game and the whole point of the game was to make us suffer. Okay, what would that look like? And then I define, I describe poker, right? And it's like we can use this game to advance ourselves in, in huge ways. That is a exceptionally optimistic way or lens in which to view poker and all of the calamities that befall us throughout every single session that we play, looking yeah. at them as opportunities to. Yep you know, reduce our suffering opportunities to practice um, being aware and meditate on, you know, this uh, act of really, would you call it recovery? Is that the, what is the, you know, the goal in the, in this meditative, meditative practice of yeah. dealing with your suffering? Like what is the yeah. end goal? 
Well, there is no end goal. That's what they always say. The goal is to pr- proceed on the path, right? That really is it. There, there, you know, there's basically you work on yourself and then you die. That's, that's the plan, right? So, so now along the way, just like with any other huge project, like let's say you're, you know, writing a book or whatever, although a book does have an end goal, along the way, there are many uh, victories and defeats, or whatever, but they're all irrelevant. The main thing is that you you stay on the path, right? So the, so the end goal, the goal is to be reducing your suffering by a tiny amount consistently each day, each week. That's the goal. Too slippery for me, Tommy. Too slippery <laughs> for my questions. You just <laughs> slip right out, slip right out of my my grasp there. Well, um, well, actually, the way the, the way that the I like to put it, but it's been put in many ways, is that is that goallessness is the goal. It really is because that's a form of freedom when you're not confined to expectations. And yeah. what is what? What do you think enlightenment is? By the way, since you know you, you brought up the the point that. Buddhism is atheism, and uh-huh. they won't even entertain a conversation about how we're here, right? Like, right. What, like a question that I think about a lot is like, why is there something instead of nothing? This is yeah. like a sort of a mind-blowing origin of like, why is there life? Why is there just right. not nothing in the universe, right? Like where yeah. did it come from? And like some basically we're missing some sort of information i'm very confident in that that hu- humanity is missing some of the details whatever they may be but what mm-hmm. would you consider enlightenment is or is it even a thing that you can give a definition of oh sure well you can always define a term okay now enlightenment is one i've been through the defining of this one many times and it does have specific meanings. I mean, you, if you look it up in the dictionary, there are definitely different versions of this word. It means different things, okay? It can mean uh, a sudden enlightenment, okay? So uh, a couple well-known writers, uh, Eckhart Tolle and Byron Katie, and, and the, the way they tell their story is they had, you know, 10 years of extreme suffering, extreme depression, extreme pain, and they basically, it was like a switch flipped. And all of a sudden, they were mindful, like all the time, and in touch with the totality, and never judging anyone harshly over anything, no matter what they did. And it was like a flash, right? That is statistically very rare, okay? The typical path of, um, so that's one form of enlightenment, sudden enlightenment, okay? Another definition of enlightenment and this is this is a very practical definition has to do with once someone starts walking the spiritual path and they sit with themselves quietly and they observe their own suffering and they read a lot about it i'm always encouraging people you can't just meditate you got to have new information coming in and so a great analogy is the idea that um let's say that you lived on a planet that was cloudy everywhere all the time all right and one day you come out and you don't even know that there's a sun behind the clouds. Never, nobody's ever seen it, right? You come out one day and the, the clouds are open up for half an hour and you see the blue sky and the sun. And you're like, holy cow, there's another whole situation out there. Then the clouds go back over. First of all, you can't explain it to anybody what you saw. This is typical spiritual enlightenment. But the key thing is that you're changed forever. 
Even though you might never see the blue sky again, you know it's there and that's going to change you. Okay, so this is a version of enlightenment that happens is some someone might reach a state of extreme stillness during their meditation, or they might have some event that is kind of like a big aha moment in their in their path. Okay, and it doesn't last for necessarily that long or they get some great insight and they're not like permanently changed. It isn't like they all of a sudden are peaceful and calm, but they are changed. They're changed forever. So that's what happens on the meditation path. If you've got somebody that meditates every day for three months or whatever, and they read the books and they were like, wow, this is great. I learned a whole bunch of stuff. I'm better. And then they stop for three years. They'll never go all the way back to how they were. They are enlightened. That's what I mean by enlightened. So someone can be enlightened by their practice in terms of having a higher understanding, but it doesn't necessarily make them into a Buddha. It's almost a more of like information, let's say. But it does change. It does change them. So that's another form of enlightenment. And then the 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 type of enlightenment that someone who practices like I do is moving toward is a steady, steady slow grind. It's like I can look at myself three years ago and think, "Wow, I'm I'm more advanced up the spiritual mountain than I was then. I'm a little less likely to get pissed off. I'm a little more likely to be kind or whatever, you know, by five percent." And that is how I define advancing in enlightenment, let's say. So is that the goal to reach enlightenment? Or the goal is just to do your, your practice yeah. on a daily yes. basis and then whatever happens, happens. Exactly. Precisely. Yeah. Ha- have the clouds ever spread for you in a moment and you see the blue sky? Yes, but only if, only if I'm really tripping hard on mushrooms. Okay. It's never happened to me. Without assistance. And is that something you experiment with? Yes. Regularly? Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, I've, I mean, I started eating acid recreationally when I was 15. And so, um, but then there was many years I didn't do much of it. But then I started getting back into mushrooms more, you know, last 10 or 15 years. Um, it's actually... D- decriminalized in Oakland, if you can believe that. I believe the worst it. you can get for a mushrooms is like a parking ticket. Right, yeah. And why mushrooms? Because this is something mm-hmm. that I'm going to be doing uh, hopefully this year, but obviously there have been some restrictions of some logistical restrictions I've faced this year in acquiring them, but this act of seeking out a way to view reality from a different lens and a different perspective is something that really has been a game changer for me. And it started with experimenting with marijuana. Um, and then the next, the next thing for me is to experience, you know, a mush, uh, eat some mushrooms and have the psilocybin experience. So like, why, why is it something that you've incorporated into your life? Why is it meaningful? What do you get out of it? Mm-hmm. Now, do you mean mushrooms in particular or mushrooms as opposed to LSD? You just mean? Or- mushrooms specifically is what I've okay. researched okay. because I, I've, I've had to research like how to do this safely and how yeah. to do it um, in a way that's most beneficial, like optimizing the experience, not just, you know, doing it and playing my PlayStation for right. however long I, I actually want to want to gain from the experience. Well, okay, so a few things. So I came up with like three rules of tripping like 40 years ago, and it turns out these 
other people have said the same thing. My original rules was you want to be doing with somebody else who's doing the same dose as you, who has experience. You want to have access to outdoors, okay? And you want to have an extra day of padding that you have no responsibilities to keep the paranoia down, okay? Now, now since then, huge, have you heard of a book called How to Change Your Mind? I don't know. Okay, so this is the book, and I mean it. Everybody who's interested in mushrooms has to read this book, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Ah, uh, yeah, Omniv- Michael He Pollan. wrote The Omnivore's Dilemma. Dilemma. This guy is a great writer. He happens to live in Oakland. And, and he did all the research. It's unbelievable. I mean, in the 50s, they had already figured out that LSD could basically cure post-traumatic uh, stress and addiction. But here's the and he put he went through the whole thing and you just got to read this book. The key key thing to how it's being applied scientifically and medically is it's it's guided. You have someone else in the room who is not tripping, who is a professional at guiding you through this. So any tripping I've done has been like okay, I go out in the woods, run around, all nice and fun. What they do to do this like hyper spiritual advancement thing. As you sit on, it's almost separate sensory deprivation. You're lying on a couch with the eye shades on. I mean, I can't even imagine what that would be like with a heavy dose, right? But everything is based on security. Like there's interviews in advance, right? Lots of stuff. So if you want to do it right, whether it's this year or 10 years from now, do it guided with a professional. Okay. That's my, yeah, that's my plan. Um, okay. For sure. So that's, and, that's going for the big cheese right there. Oh, right. yeah. I, I, I'm aiming high. And by the way, <laughs> Michael Pollan, I have heard of him. He's been on the Tim Ferriss show a number of times. He's been interviewed and his books are super yeah. well known in, yeah. in, in that area of you know psychedelic drugs. Well, yeah, but primarily he, he was he's written about food for the first few books. But he says it's all part of the same thing because it's stuff that goes in your body. Right. Right. Um, I didn't actually realize there are so many things about this path that I have now taken us on. I did not imagine that this is what we're going to be talking about in our conversation, <laughs> by the way. But um, originally, the U.S. government was like totally in charge of the LSD supply in the world, right? Is that yeah. a, they, they bought oh, yeah. all the manufacturing it's, and everything? It's almost tragic what happened. It was LSD was legal up till 66. Right. The summer of love in San Francisco, Jefferson Airplane, Santana, all of that, 67. Uh, you know, everybody was just like tripping their brains out. It was basically legal at that time. Um, but, yeah, the government classified it in the same category as heroin and never declassified it over all these years. And that's basically what what killed the research. There was another huge round of research in the 90s, but it had to be illegal. Right. But now they're now they're getting real research. 2006 is when major start stuff started happening because that's when we we were able to do the MRI scans on the brain, and they and they're like the brain research on mushrooms is just mind boggling. It's like it if they take a heavy duty Buddhist monk meditator like the the Michael Jordans of meditating right and look at their brain scan and somebody tripping on mushrooms, it's identical. There are certain parts of the brain that are identically affected. And what it does is it sort of washes out the neural pathways that have been preformed. This is why meditation and mushrooms are t- traditionally good for artists to help with their creativity. 
because what you're doing is you're like wiping out some of the preformed neural pathways to allow new connections to to take place. That's literally what happens in yeah. the brain. I've I've heard it described as like uh, footprints in the snow, and then you know when you trip, it snows and that gets covered yeah. over, and then you you can kind of start with a fresh slate. Right. Right. Which is especially powerful for folks who deal with, you know, depression, PTSD, those sorts of, you know, mental health issues. Yeah. And you, you can just get whole new perspectives, whole new perspective. I mean, yeah, I, think about the difference between, you know, situations where you used to get angry all the time at a person. And now in that same situation, you actually feel love for them. How the hell does that happen? Well, it takes a pretty major change, but this actually explains scientifically how that can happen. That's right. what I'm excited about. I was like, okay, so far we just have stories of people's transformation. What's the real science behind it? Now we know. Most of the time in life, these things, you know, you have to figure them out anecdotally if you don't know. You just experience it yourself, right? Like now there's obviously good science on all of the you know, embarrassment of benefits of having a daily med- meditation practice mm-hmm. that did not exist like in the 80s. However, right. if you meditated every day, it would have been obvious to you the benefits because right. you would have felt it. You would have lived through, you know, that experiential transformation that went down. I, I want to go back and ask you, though, in your life, like, what are the, why do you choose to, trip? Like, why is this a a part of your life? What's the benefit for you specifically? Okay. Well, it's recreational. I mean, it's fun. um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, so like, you know, we go camping and we'll just have one, one trip day, basically. Uh, I can't wait for COVID. I need to go camping (laughs) with Tommy Angelo. (laughs) And then, um, you know, I've I I hang out with a fair number of young people because of my clients and stuff, and so microdosing, you know, is a thing. Mm-hmm. And I was a little confused by that because I assumed it meant take amount that's where you just barely feel it, right? But actually, it does mean take such a small amount that you don't even feel it at all, just like a little brain juice, you know. So I'm like, I don't see entirely what the point of that is, but I'm <laughs> I'm originally a recreational drug user, so. But yeah, I mean, it isn't like I'm tripping all the time. I just sure. have it available. And w- see, for me, I only want to do a, a significant dose if everything is lined up perfectly. Everything has to be perfect, or I, I won't do it. So it isn't like I'm doing it that often. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not trying to paint you as like a <laughs> somebody who's <laughs> tripping every single day of their lives. But it's obviously like a conscious choice, something that you go out of your way to experience. Yeah, so like that. Yeah. That is, you know, what what piques my curiosity. Yes. It, it, in, incidentally, it, it, it helps me along my path, but it, I'm basically a recreational user. Cool. So you just do it for fun. Yeah. That's a great reason to do things um, <laughs> for fun. John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a preflop bootcamp. Everything that you had done with me to that point, or I had heard you do, had impressed me. I love the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the poker power hour and loved that. And then I took coaching and then you recommended the boot camp. And at first I didn't think it was 
you know, something that would be that valuable. But I was like, everything else has been amazing. So I signed up and then it just blew me away. And what about bootcamp blew you away? Like it started off slow. Like I'm learning these ranges and I'm not even understanding what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, as I start to understand what we're doing with the three bets, the four bets, all of a sudden it just kind of hit me. And I was like, oh my God, how do I not know this stuff? This is amazing. The more I studied them, I started to understand why they were constructed sometimes. Like I'd be like, that's why that's like that. And that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general. Do you have any interesting takeaways from your boot camp experience? The most interesting thing about the boot camp, it's a pre-flop boot camp, but I feel like it's done as much for my post game as it did for my pre-game, just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. You know, when we were doing coaching before the boot camp, we couldn't get through 10, 15 minutes of tape without finding mistake after mistake. And then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back end as well. I know you've studied for a thousand hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study? Oh, it's crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to, to know that stuff 10 years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if I had known that stuff. And I thought the boot camp was so valuable that I literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp because I was blown away. I just thought the price was too cheap. And it's changed my game in ways that I, I can't even explain to you. If you'd like to join the next round of Preflop Bootcamp, which starts on the last Saturday of every month, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. So let's segue from the mushrooms to life in COVID, what is this, you know, 2020, what has it been like for you? What has this experience been like? What have you done? I know that, you know, you typically interact with a lot of human beings. What is life like now? Well, I'm, I'm interacting. Uh, well, in the last few months, my wife and I have been, we've had some little couple, two on two gatherings out back outside, you know, some dinners. So there's been a little bit of resuming to normal. But but my life is very not didn't change much at all because I had already set up my coaching business to be done on Zoom, right? Mm-hmm. So so I've been you know doing two or three coaching calls a week, which is fine, and working on a project which we're going to talk about. And um, my wife works at home, and so our lives have been you know we're thankful every single day, relatively unaffected. Uh, you know, the only losses we've had has been people that were going to come and visit us that couldn't come or, you know, going to visit our families. Yeah. The the inability to travel and visit and people come out. But even that, it's like this is what's been happening for COVID in terms of our spiritual path is, and I, I know a lot of other people too, it's like we start to realize some of the stuff we thought was really, really important isn't ultimately that important. Yeah. And right? some things 
that maybe we minimize the importance of are actually more important than we may have considered back when, you know, everything was, you know, quote unquote normal. Yeah. So, you know, we're very grateful that we already had good daily habits, you know, physical health and mental health habits. So our primary thing during COVID was, okay, we're going to keep up our health habits and, you know, see how things go. Yeah. Um, I'd like to clarify my statement, by the way. The, okay. the, the thing that people may have taken for granted, you know, going to a sports game, right? Going to a mm. poker room. These things yeah. that, like, we just did without ever realizing that, like, a pandemic could take away our ability to do this in a safe way. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's going to be no surprise when the doors open back up with live poker that there's going to be a stampede of humans just like you know the parents trying to get the cabbage patch dolls um <laughs> just trampling each other to get in the poker room right, to right. play cards finally after being deprived of it for pretty much you know the, at least the last six months and then probably maybe even another year into the future and well they're playing in vegas i get reports there you know they're playing at aria and it's not the yeah, same it's though, you know. You got the Hannibal Lecter plexiglass, and right, like it's only right. four people or however many people at a table. Yeah. So it's still different, you know what I mean? No, you're um, right. You're right. Yeah. But uh, so I read something that again this piqued my interest, and I wanted to ask you about it. And this is Painless Poker, mm-hmm. your book you wrote a little blurb that said the seven chapters alternate between details from my real life, such as how I play poker, how I become a meditation coach and how I hope to die. And that last little addition there, I wanted to ask you, how do you hope to die, Tommy? By my own hand. Wow. If I get to choose when, then I will consider the end of my life to have been a success. What is it? What do you mean by, by your own hand? I, uh, okay. So now, <laughs> um, this topic could very well be the topic of my next book. And it could be a field of exploration for me in terms of what I write about and even teach about going up, going forward. So you really tapped into a rather large well here. So anyone who's watched, a loved one die wickedly through cancer. Like I watched my mother die, you know, long before hospice even existed. You know, that leaves a pretty big mark of fear. It's like, boy, I sure don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to go through that. And since then I've witnessed it a number of other times. Right. And so there's a lot of conversations people have about, Oh, you know, if I get that far gone, you know, if I get to where I got a shit in a bag and I can't walk, I just, end it for me. I don't want to keep going. But that's not what happens, right? We keep going. <clears throat> so there's two there's two degrees of ending your own life. And one of them is like normal, which is to end the obvious amount of physical suffering going on. It's like I've had enough. You know, my uncle Carl took his own life and I respect his great courage for doing so because he had cancer and he just didn't want to put us through the end stages, right? And, and he did himself and all of us a favor by doing that, in my opinion. It took great courage. So those are the obvious situations when somebody is in 
terrible pain with a terminal illness. Okay. Now let's go all the way over here, which is what I'm leaning toward. Have you ever seen the movie Harold and Maude? I have not. You might want to jot that down. Okay. Okay. I, I know the story, right? The story is the story like a, of a yeah, a young a, a young boy kind of falls in love with an eighty-year-old woman, and she ends her own life at age eighty, but she doesn't have to. Okay, and so, so the idea here was, what if you? Let's just do a little hypothetical. Forget about how impossible this sounds. Let's do a little hypothetical. Sure. Let's just say you had the courage and the discipline to end your life when you're healthy. Okay. So let's say you're like you know seventy eight years old, and you and you and you you've you've had a good life, and you've got your nest egg, right? You got your nest egg, and let's say you've got now everything I'm about to say. None of this applies to anybody who has kids. That's really, really, really critical. Okay, this concept only applies if you don't have kids. Because if you have kids and grandkids, it just changes the whole equation. But I don't. Okay, so what if I decided? Okay, I am going to die on August twenty fifth. 2048 or whatever, my 80th birthday. Okay. Um, 38. And then when I'm with my family during that last year, each family member, I could, we'd be sitting there having our last coffee or smoking our last joint. And I say, this is the last conversation we're ever going to have. What would that be like? Like knowing when you were having your last conversation with every person, what would it be like to, for me to like give my piano to somebody personally rather than wait until I die and just see what the hell happens to it. Right. Or, you know, you, you wanted to give away everything, money, possessions, everything, but do it while you're alive. Now, these aren't the reason, these are like incidental bonus reasons for this idea. But the main idea is what if you knew you weren't going to suffer at the end of your life? Doesn't matter how, what if you somehow knew that? Because it's the fear of death, it's the fear of dying, it's the fear of the loss of life is at the root of a, of a great deal of our suffering. And in Buddhist teachings, when they talk about, you know, removing the fear of death, ultimately, that removes the fear of everything else, because that's the ultimate one. We don't think about it in terms of death, but ultimately, that's what it comes to, okay? So, ideally, I would choose my death date when I'm healthy and die when I'm reasonably healthy and not wait until I have, a, a, you know, pain to avoid. And so this would be an absolutely painless life, a painless end. It might be a little more painful for the people that I leave behind, but I have to coach them, <laughs> to coach them through that. Anyway, no, this is all conjecture. You know, I'm 62 now. These are things I'm thinking about doing, you know, 15, 20 years down the road. Um, but it really is a fascinating topic to think about, about end of life. And you're a little young to really need to be thinking about it. But anyway, what do you think of all that so far? I think it is ultra, ultra compelling. And it is something that merits deep reflection, thought, and meditation. And mm-hmm. I, I want to say, you know, you, you don't have kids, Tommy. You have 
touched the lives of just so many souls in the world through the things that you create and, you know, poker specifically, Melissa Burr, I had her on the podcast and, you know, she was talking about you specifically and said like, what a world that this guy who I look up to so much uh, as a mentor, I just revere him now follows me on Twitter. Right. Like it was like the, an ultra thrill for her and just, you know, that's the impact that you've had on all these lives. And, you know, we love you, obviously. I, I just want to say, for, you know, I love you. I think you're, you're just an amazing human being. And yeah, this is all ultra compelling. And, you know, something that I've thought about before is a word. And it's a very specific word, humane. And I've always wondered why when our pets are suffering – is that the humane way to go when, you know, humane obviously is like human, right? It has a root, human. We don't allow ourselves this same option in, you know, our culture and in the United States. And that's always struck me as a little bit of a disconnect. Like it's humane to end a dog suffering. It's not humane to end a human suffering, even if they want that and they're asking for that. Yeah. So that is, that is a little a thing that I have invested a lot of thought into. I've also had the experience of, you know, I've seen how death affects us in that the fear of death and the fear of dying and how that really motivates and drives our actions and how it's like always a thing, even on a subconscious level that we're thinking about is this like fear of death. And I can certainly see the merit to, alleviating that fear um, to working your way through that and how that would help you lead a more fulfilling life and Mm -hmm. just ultimately improve this experience of being aware on this planet. Yeah. And you make a good point about humane. Um, In Painless Poker, Babs McDurdy tells the story of her mother dying. That's, That's where a lot of the death stuff comes up. But she has a line there, something like, and a lot of people said this, you know, that we basically treat our pets better than our parents at the end of life. We really do a lot of times. And um, yeah, it's great that you're thinking about this stuff. Well, it's, I'm not going to, I can segue into the reason why it's at the forefront of my mind, but I think it's a, a part of my experience my entire life is considering death and what does it mean and what are the implications and what does it mean about life? Um, Mm -hmm. Because death is a thing that is kind of taboo to talk about, but I believe that it's something all humans think about and ruminate Mm -hmm. on and, you know, really, really try to consider deeply. So, you know, in my life this year, right before COVID in January, my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer and he's 57 years old. And, you know, it's, it's a shocking thing. And it's a very aggressive form of lung cancer. And so this is really what has incentivized me to think about death and the implications and what does it mean? What does it mean to live and what's going to happen and all of these things, just trying to come to terms with this, you know, sort of devastating news that ultimately is inevitable for all of us. Um, So yeah, that, that's really the catalyst that has gotten me thinking about it more this year and also yeah. considering awareness and spirituality and all of these things and you know, really diving deep into what do I believe, what are my thoughts, and what do I make of it. So 
yeah, we've touched on something that is both personal um, mm-hmm. to you and I, and it's a very important thing that I, I think deserves and merits more thought and more discussion. For sure. Right up until we die. <laughs> right up until we die. <laughs> You've heard me talk early and often about how improving your awareness while you're playing cards so that you make better decisions in the moment and notice trouble spots that merit deeper consideration is one of the most valuable things you can do to make more money on the felt. In my conversation with the only four-time WPT main event champion ever, Darren Elias, he told me that his ability to shut out all of the distractions in the world and fully focus on making great decision after great decision is his superpower he most attributes to his success. And you cannot improve your awareness at the tables without being fully present. When you learn how to stay fully in the moment on the green felt, you can finally have a clear path to becoming the absolute best version of yourself, which leads me to Jason Sue. Jason is one of the foremost authorities on the planet when it comes to playing poker with presence. As a matter of fact, he even wrote the book on it. Here's a direct quote from Nick Howard at Poker Detox on Jason's ability to help you stay focused. Quote, Jason's work is a new paradigm in poker and performance. End quote. And these aren't just empty words. Nick has put his money where his mouth is by hiring Jason to coach up the Poker Detox crew. And as a loyal listener of Chasing Poker Greatness, you know by now that I would not be promoting anything I didn't 100% believe would improve your poker skills and your life. So if you want to master your emotions and perform at your peak with presence while doing battle in the arena, you'd be doing yourself a grave disservice if you didn't check out Jason's work at PokerWithPresence.com. One final time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. Maybe this is too dark, but I'm going to ask the question anyway, because if you've considered this in a way that I know that you have, how would you like the end to be? How would you like to, you know, pull the plug in, in essence? I mean, what form? Actual yeah, form? The form? Oh, uh, morphine overdose. Morphine? Yeah. How come? Well, that's the only one I know of right now, for sure, that is completely painless. And that's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, reason, and I don't want to do anything that involves, you know, blood. Yeah. That's a little gross for the... Cleanup crew. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there might be some easier, better way, you know, but basically if there was some sort of painless poison or, you know... This has been, again, this... This is not the path I envisioned for this conversation, but it is so <laughs> compelling and, you know, it, it means so much to me. And I'm sure the listener, you know, has these thoughts as well. Is there any wisdom that you would like to, you know, share with the listener on this topic before we move on? Oh, on, on end of life stuff? Yeah, sure. Well... Any listeners watching this are very more likely to bury other people before they bury themselves. And so anytime you are around a death situation, relative or friend, where you're going there in person, uh, you know, try to stay outside of yourself as much as possible and be there for the other people. 
you know, I've been to a lot of funerals and various things, and and I've just found that each one of those can be an op. You know, it's another one of these opportunities for growth. But but it's so easy to stay lost in our own stuff. But this is the this is the one time to really be compassionate. So let's say it's your dad. Do you have siblings? I have a sister, but we don't share the same dad. Okay. Well, let's say you're there. You know, you're there. Okay. There's going to be people there for you. They're going to look at you and they're going to feel compassionate toward you and want to make you feel better. But then you can do the same thing. This isn't, this is, I'm not being very clear about this, but, but each time you come upon a, an actual death, this is the time to really reflect, you know, and, and experience that completely, you know, and think about your own and think about impermanence. You know, that's like one of the great words that comes from Buddhist teaching is this is, and one of the ways they put it is everything that has a beginning has an end. You know, which actually solves the universe problem. Buddha doesn't know how the universe solved. He doesn't know if it began. When anything that is known to have a beginning, such as our lives, is known to have an end, right? And and just like once we can work on that, it's like oh, it, you get to where the small stuff just slides off faster and easier. You know, like you're walking around every day thinking, oh, I'm going to die pretty soon, but you you realize well you know what I don't need to invest my all of my emotional stake in that or this or that I I don't know it wasn't a very good answer um, no it makes sense to me you anything that that anything that improves your ability to recover and to experience life in the present moment is valuable and we only have this present moment and everything is transient no matter how much we don't want it to be, whether it be our youth, our physical body, our athleticism, our beauty, our intelligence, all of these yeah. things are transient. And right. it's the sooner that you come to terms with that, the yeah. better, because you know, ruminating on it is a massive source of suffering. Yeah, it's like every day we wake up, you know, without a terminal disease, you can you can be grateful for that. Exactly. Every day we wake up and we're we can see, we can hear. Yeah. You know? Okay. So okay. let now that now that we have the fluff out of the way, let's segue <laughs> into the, the serious stuff here. You have a new YouTube project. Last time we checked in, you were making poker simple with Lee Jones. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened with that project. I know Lee is now writing for Global Poker, I believe. Mm -hmm. Is Poker Simple still a thing, first of all? And second of all, I'm going to assume that it is not because you have your new new venture. So spoiler alert, it's probably not a thing. But, you know, why did that thing end? And then what is this new YouTube venture you got going on? Okay. Okay. The Poker Simple, Lee Jones and I made 31 videos. We stopped the day that COVID quarantines started because Lee and I made the videos right here in this very room in my house. And we filmed them right there. And Lee lives just a couple block, a couple miles away. And being together in our chairs and how we did all that live recording was vital to the whole thing. And also our our joy of making the videos was in the editing room. You know, we'd get our source material and then we're in here and if anybody's watched the videos, we add all kinds of little sparks and flavors and stuff. 
that was super fun. So we knew that the Poker Simple was over. And so I would encourage everyone to, we made a goodbye video called Goodbye from Poker Simple. If you search for Poker Simple as one word, you will definitely be taken to our YouTube channel. If you watch the goodbye video, it has a little highlight reel on the end. It's kind of fun. And so those 31 videos are sitting there under the poker, you know, at the Poker Simple YouTube channel now and forever, as long as YouTube is up there. So people are still watching them. And they're, they're good. You know, they're good. They're fun. And um, Lee and I are still extremely good buddies. In fact, he and Lisa were over. Remember I said we had some outings. They were over here the other day for lunch. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just a magical thing that Lee and I came together. Basically, it was a one-year project. So that covers Poker Simple, right? Yep. And we move on to the new project. So what happened was, this is, my new project is called Poker Words. It's a YouTube channel. It's my YouTube channel, Tommy Angelo. Okay. Now, just a little side story here. There is a fictional character in some sort of video game. His name is Tommy Angelo. It's some yes. sort of mafia game, right? Yes, it is. So when you search for me, the other, that character shows up now and then. But now it so happens, just very, very recently, like in the last couple of days, that character was killed off or something happened. So if you search for Tommy Angelo, the first hundred hits is all about that guy. <laughs> yeah, I did that when I was like, I was searching for your handle on Twitter and I searched yeah. for Tommy Angelo to see like what you're tweeting about and like try to get some insights into talking points. And it was yeah. like just pages and pages of this video game mafia character. Right. So eventually that might die off. So my Twitter feed, I changed it around like the last few months. What I'm doing is I'm just putting up one tweet a day at 11 o'clock, and it's just words only, just a short little snippet of something. I'm not putting up links or anything like that. And so that's been my new Twitter approach, and it's been getting some traction. So poker words, I don't know how you're going to be able to find it with, with Tommy Angelo inundating and everything, but it's my YouTube channel, Tommy Angelo. The poker words as one word doesn't have enough traction at Google yet to, you know, nobody's even started searching for it yet. But right. eventually, I think searching for poker words will get you there. But if if you go to my website, TommyAngelo.com, and go down to the bottom and sign up for my newsletter, which I don't send them out very often, you will be notified about everything yeah. <laughs> forever. <laughs> okay. Not, uh, not as so often as me. Um, no, no, not my, as often. It's more like quarterly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I love your letters, by the way. I don't know how the hell you crank those out every day. What it, what... Um, really impressive. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And that means and, and especially a lot coming from you. And, you know, you're standing of where you're at as a poker author. That does mean a lot to me. And it takes a lot of energy is where they where they come from and how I do yeah. it. You know, it typically takes me an hour and a half to two hours. I write the first draft and then I kind of get yeah. away from it. And then I edit and edit and edit until I finally feel good about it. So it's a, it is yeah. a massive time commitment for me. And it's really odd that I have people reply to my newsletter and, you know, say, Oh, wow, I really like this one. Or they'll give me feedback or they'll ask like a personal question. And mm -hmm. I've realized like that's pretty cool that people will sign up to this newsletter where I'm effectively marketing to them at the end of the yeah. day, but right. it's still resonating in a way that they feel the need to reply and give yeah. me their thoughts. It's like, wow, this is actually resonating with, with human beings. And so I found that even though it is a difficult endeavor for me, it's also 
joy-filled, you know, the fulfillment mm. of people responding yeah. and asking questions. It just works in a way that's good for my business, makes yep. me feel good as a person, and also hopefully provides some value for folks. Even if they never buy any of the things that I sell, it's still helping yeah. them or making them laugh or whatever, yeah. whatever it is. But yeah, it is a, it's a tough, it's a tough gig. Um, so, so much respect for the energy that you've put into, you know, your books, your writing, it is a massive amount that is hard to, it's hard to understand unless you, I guess you experience it yourself and, uh, mm. click through the show page for this episode, by the way, for poker words, um, Tommy Angelo's YouTube project, that's going to be on this show page. So you'll be able to find it there right. and poker, oh, yeah. poker words. Like why did you choose to make these short videos on poker words words and maybe subconsciously i knew to ask you about psychedelics or i knew that that was like <laughs> an entry point because of these videos they're there you can tell that they're very uh psychedelically themed in just like your silhouette talking and then bright colors yeah. and stuff like that well okay i want to I want to back up you everything you just said about why you're doing your thing and about how, yeah, it's marketing, but it also gives you joy and you know, you're helping people out. I mean, that's exactly what motivates me to do all the shit I'm doing. And I was glad to hear you say that you, you wrote, I edit until I feel good about it. And then you put it out there. So you enjoy that, right? Oh yeah. Well, no. Do I enjoy editing? No. Yeah. But I enjoy, oh, you don't? I enjoy oh. getting it right. Like I enjoy it okay. when it's like, you know, it streams well and it does the things that I want it to do. That's what I enjoy. The, the editing, okay. I mean, it's hard, right? Like, but there's joy in taking on tasks that are difficult once yeah. you get through with them because you have right. a sense of accomplishment because there's some suffering, there's some pain <laughs> that went into making this thing. So naturally yeah. it makes it, valuable to you nice okay so poker words it, this is technically my fourth video project i did i did um eightfold path in 2008 at deuces crack and around 2011 i did 10 videos at folk off on site and then i did the video now both of those were videos where it was just voiceover and then stuff right then with lee Poker Simple was the first time I ever did footage of me talking in front of a camera. I really never, ever thought I would do that. And so that turned out to not suck bad enough to keep me from doing it again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so now this is a whole different challenge because the thing that was easy for Lee and I is like we're sitting here talking. Of course, we're going to get all animated and it was easy to be engaging, I guess. Right. Talking directly to a camera, you know, like, you know. John Stewart and all these talking heads. I mean, I don't know how they do that, but that's what I'm attempting to do with poker words. What happened was I wrote articles and I wrote books for 20 years and I started doing these movies with Lee and I got so much into learning Final Cut Pro, learning how to make movies for real that I took that on both almost as like a, you know, a, well, not almost as a, my main new thing. So I've been, so with Lee... We both learned it. We could both edit. We got up to the point where we could get the videos out the door, like, say, with the audio, right? We knew how to fix the audio up, you know, get the low-hanging fruit. Well, as an audio technician, I knew we weren't getting the best audio possible, but it was good enough, okay? 
with poker words, I'm going the next level on everything of filmmaking. Okay. Sure. And going for a, uh, and so it's, it, it, I have no mojo to write words. I mean, now there's lots of words in these videos, but my, I mean, write prose, you know, articles or books. I have like three book projects that are fairly well developed. I could latch on any one of them and run for a couple of years. No desire. This making these movies is really what I want to do. So I'm really hoping that 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 I get some feedback and that people like them well enough to give me incentive to keep doing them. <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, but the um, how does that feel? By the way, that's a feeling that I'm familiar with. This beginning of a project, anticipation, not knowing how it's going to be received. How does that feel yeah. to you? Well, it's it's exciting and scary. I've been through this a number of times. And especially with these, it's like one of these videos, it's a minute and 20 long. It's called Waiting. And it's and it's basically I took this, I started this thing and then I found, I, I recorded this one guitar track like a year ago on slide and I tuned the guitar to a minor chord, like the whole guitar tuned a minor chord and played it for like, you know, a year and kept messing with it. And I came up with this one thing and I had that in the can and then I'm working on this video about waiting. And I was like, Oh man, I should just take that song and not have any voiceover or nothing. Just have all visuals of like what it's like to be waiting for good hands at poker. Right. And so I put together this art piece. I have no idea what the user experience is going to be like. I have no idea. Like, let's say somebody watched this thing and they never heard of me. Never heard of anything. What are they going to think? I have no idea. That's yeah. the part that's kind of crazy to me. You know, I, I don't know no either. Idea. Yeah, I yeah. don't know either. Like, I really enjoyed them, but I know you, right? And I, and yeah. I, I, I have, uh, you know, a foundational knowledge of Tommy Angelo. I don't know who the what the random person is going <laughs> to stumbling across is going to think about him. But but the the thing I the thing though though is like let's say that like right now uh, okay the site will be up and running by the time we you release this video, right? Or this interview. Right. Um, and the thing is like, this is how I felt about writing painless poker. I mean, I wrote, I was working on it for seven years, you know, there were days, weeks, months go by where it's like, I don't even know if this book is ever going to get published. I don't know if anybody's going to like it, but I loved working on it. I would come racing downstairs to work on it. And that's how I feel about these videos, right? I enjoy making them so much that it, at least at this point, it almost doesn't even matter if anybody likes them. Um, I think that it, it. it's hard yeah. for people to not like them when you're attacking it in such a joyful way, right? Like it, it's really, it's hard for them to not resonate with people when you put so much of your love and your heart and your joy into these projects that I know that, you know, it's scary because we don't know yet, but mm-hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that they're going to resonate with people in a very significant way and they're going to be helpful and that joy of making these videos will shine through to the end user and if there's any way that um i can help you or serve you in this project please just reach out to me let me know i'd be be happy to do so and yeah i think this is a, a good point to exit and okay final question well i'll just ask you you know if there's any last thoughts that you would like to share 
with the listener and then also the call to actions to, you know, your Twitter, your website and all those things. Oh, okay. Well, yes, I'm on Twitter as the Tommy Angelo and my website is TommyAngelo.com. And I am doing coaching all on Zoom and that's at my website. Um, what does coaching entail with Tommy Angelo? Oh, okay. So the coaching I'm doing is on Zoom. The the calls are it's a hundred dollars for a half hour, but they almost always go over. And basically, uh, at the the first call always goes over. But you write to me what you want to talk about and everything, and then we just go from there. You know. Yeah. I've had a number of clients that just did one or two calls. I've had a number of clients like right now. I have a couple of guys that are every week, you know, for months and months. So it just depends. But the it's very you know extremely personalized. It can be about strategy. It can be about you know, how to just everything, uh, man, like a lot of those guys write to me are about lifestyle, maintaining a balance and or like, well, should I go pro or how do I convince my mom that I'm not crazy? You know, it just everything. Yeah, so, it could be. It could just be even logistics of being a young kid who is a pro. And how do I live a more balanced and fulfilling life? Right. This is a major, yeah, major yeah. pain point to right. for young poker players who are just entering this world. Yeah. So, yeah, and in I, terms of, I empathize, by the way, with you saying 30 minutes, but they almost always go over because this is yeah. exactly how my poker coaching sessions go one hour long, but they almost always go over yeah. because like I, I never want to end with unanswered questions. So mm-hmm. basically we just stay with these problems until we find some sort of resolution and then exit with homework throughout the next week. And that, that just yeah. means that they just go longer than an hour typically. Yeah. But in terms of general advice, um, I think, well, I mean, it, there's really no different between COVID or everything any, it, before. It just exa- seems to exaggerate everything. But we just need to try to remember that we are all living on this rock in this tiny little shell around the surface where life happens to exist. And it's broken off into all these different life forms. And we all share exactly the same genetic code. By we, I mean all organisms. Yeah, there we go. And it's just uh, decency. You know, anytime we can just stop ourselves when we're feeling a little mean and just try to be good to each other and when we're being mean to ourselves and just like stop and just think, you know, I don't have to be an asshole today. (laughs) It's, you know, that's, that's a great wise sentence to end this conversation on because the reality is we don't have to act the way that we think we ought to act in this world that seems to be more and more divided on a regular basis. And, you know, it, it doesn't allow us to have conversations with people that have different views and opinions on us. Um, you know, civil conversations, there's a lot of emotional anger, um, blaming, yelling, I, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of that culture, and I, I think that it's doing it's causing folks humanity to suffer in a way that is not good. 
And um, yeah, you're right. So we'll just end there on, you don't have to be an asshole. That's a choice that you make <laughs> um, on a daily basis. Tommy, thank you so much for your time and your energy. I have loved this conversation. This is one of my all-time most favorite conversations that I've had on this show, especially, you know, the discussion on the spirituality and the death is really near and dear to my own heart. So thank you very much for your time and your energy. And thank you too, for all you're doing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.